It's a joy to be visiting with you guys again right before you move to your new place. I hear it has air conditioning, <laughs> but no chairs. So, you know, now you have chairs, but not great air. It's like a, just a flop. It's good. Really good. I'm, I'm so excited. It's good to have a new home and new beginnings and fresh seasons, and I think it's going to be um, such a crucial and important blessing um, in the life of this church and the future churches along Broadway. It's awesome. My name's Drew. For those who, of you who I haven't had a chance to meet, and I'm the lead pastor at the Gathering Church down in Midtown, and for the last seven, eight months, um, I've been able to fellowship um, with a team here, and occasionally we swap pulpits, and it's been really cool to see our churches come together. Um, Shari and I are big Disney World fans. I think we've been to the parks eight or nine times. And um, when it came time to plan the, the first birthday for our first son, we thought he's probably going to be a Mickey Mouse fan. So we planned this huge Mickey Mouse party. And there you can see a picture of Shari with our mouse ears. And we have this, this um, cake made. You can kind of see those are Oreos stuck in the sides for, um, for the ears. Is anyone else hungry right now? I'd love to just have those. And so we, um, we had mouse ears, and then she ordered a little bitty mouse ear hat for our son. He wouldn't wear it, but we thought this was cute. And we, we thought, we can't just be the only ones wearing mouse ears. So we crafted handmade mouse ears for everyone. So as you came into the party, you would grab the attire and come into the party and celebrate in Disney fashion with us. I know, we need help. We're crazy. But we just thought that would be so much fun. Now, for uh, many reasons, I was really excited about the party because we were having it in our church space that God had miraculously given us on the river and our families were going to be in town and they had never seen all that I've been working hard on. And so we we're going to be celebrating the life of Hayden. We we're going to be celebrating the provision of, of the Father for our church. And then our families were going to be there and then our spiritual family, our church was going to get there. So it was just for me, it was an incredible day that I was looking forward to for months and months and months. And then and um, while we were prepping, there was a young man that I'd been discipling that um, I began to love dearly. He was fairly far from Jesus, pretty jaded and hurt, didn't understand the gospel, um, wasn't really moved by the gospel, was still trying to earn his way to Jesus. And, and because of that, you know, there just wasn't a joy there. So I was trying to encourage him and serve him and love him well. And he was helping us set up for the party the night before. And he was invited, and, and I was processing with him how excited Shari and I were, and our families were coming in town. I can't wait for him to meet them. And it was just an incredible day of preparation. And then the next day, about halfway through the party, I noticed he's not there. And I began to wonder, I wonder where my buddy is. He's supposed to be. He said he's going to be here. He helped us plan all this and set all this up. Where is he at? By the end of the party, he never showed up. And, and I'm wondering, did he get in a wreck? Is he Okay. It's not like him to just not show up. And I ran into him later, and um, I asked him, buddy, where were you? And he said, oh, I went out late last night and was partying at all the bars till four or five in the morning, and I got home, and I was hungover, and I just fell asleep. And when I woke up, the party was over. And to be honest, I was so angry and hurt and discouraged after all the investment we had made in him and, and how he knew how important this day was, not only to me, but to our families, that I wasn't really mad that 
he missed our thing. I was really discouraged that he would prefer to party with the world than to party with his spiritual family, celebrating the grace and the mercy of God. He'd rather be out in the world doing that thing than in the house of God celebrating the provision of God. Now, I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that. Maybe you've thrown a birthday party or a wedding or an anniversary party or a graduation or retirement party. I'm sure in the size of this room that you have planned some type of celebration, invited lots of people you loved, and have experienced all the emotions that go with people you think would want to be there with you, not come. And maybe there's been people who receive your invitation and say, you know what, I've got better things to do. I've got to do laundry that day. Or, or maybe there's people who don't respond at all as if they never got the invitation, they just delete the invitation. Or maybe there's people who said they were going to be there and then they just don't show up. I'm certain most of you have had that experience. Now, um, this parable that we're looking at today, the parable of the wedding feast, it's easy to, by default, read with the perspective of the persons invited, because that's who we are. And it's easy to empathize with a man at the end of the chapter who's not wearing the right clothes and gets kicked out of the joint. But I want to ask you to exercise the discipline of empathy and put yourself in the shoes of the king. Because he's the one making the invitation, getting his heart broken. So if you find yourself going to um, give sympathy to the, the people invited, oh, just kind of stop and remember, okay, it's the king and it's his party. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, um, we're not going to read all the way through it, but Matthew 22 is where we'll be um, for the sake of time and our air conditioning situation. I'm going to try to be as quick as possible. Everyone said, amen. That's the biggest amen I've gotten here. Wow. I know how the Anglicans work. That's good. So the very beginning of chapter 22 is and again. Anytime you read that, you need to hit the brakes and go back and see what is aimed again. Tied to, in just brief overview of chapter 21, you have the triumphal entry, the beginning of the Passion Week. You have Jesus cleansing the temple, and you have Jesus teaching in the temple. And for those of us in the 21st century Western world, that doesn't mean a lot to us, but to those first century Jews, they would have seen king, triumphal entry, prophet, cleansing the temple, and priest, teaching the temple. And for a first century Jew, that would have had massive messianic implications to us, 20 centuries removed, not, not much. But to them, it had been a big deal. The Pharisees don't like what they see, and they begin to question the authority of Jesus. And it's in response to really the, the religious leader's rejection of Jesus as prophet, priest, king, that Jesus tells two parables in Matthew 21, the parable of the two sons and the parable of the wicked tenants. Okay, now, we don't have time to get into those. You can read them on your own. But both of those parables in Matthew 21 are about the responsibility of being in God's household. So that's just important to know that that's about the duty of the gospel, the responsibility of being in God's kingdom. That's what those two are about. And at the very end of 21, it says that they realized he was talking about them. It says that the Pharisees perceived that he was telling these parables about them, which is finally the light bulb comes on in their head, and he's talking about them to everybody else, and it's a little awkward, 
And it's the Passion Week. It's the last week of Jesus' life. And he's not mincing words, not being around the bush. He's getting straight to the point. And they don't like it and says that they want to arrest him. And they're fearful of the crowds. And it's this very, very tense situation at the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry here. And then you go to chapter 22, which we just heard. And it says, and again, in the midst of the awkwardness of the Pharisees, hearing that he's talking about them, he tells them another parable and he belabors the point and he presses into the issue and he keeps touching the nerve. I just love the ruthlessness of Jesus that he's always going after the issue. And he he says the kingdom is like, he's going to miss that. He's trying to say, this is what the kingdom of God's like. You're missing the kingdom of God. Here's what it's like. I've been talking to you about the duty of the gospel Let's talk about the joy of the gospel, which is what this the parable of the wedding feast is all about. It's about the, the joy and the privilege. You've got to know that in conjunction with 21. It's about the privilege of the gospel. Now, let me pause and give you a verse to hold on in the back of your head as we walk through it. In Romans chapter 14, verse 17, I think we have it. Paul gives us the ingredients of the kingdom, and he says, the kingdom is not a matter of eating and drinking, but it's of these three things, righteousness or right relationships and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So whenever you get tired of people saying the kingdom of God and you're wondering what that means, you can go back to this verse and go, okay, this is the ingredients of the kingdom of God, righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. So just hold that, righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. In the back of your mind, we'll come back to that. So he tells this parable And what's amazing is that there's three invitations. Isn't that crazy? There's three invitations. Now, if you look closely at the text, the first invitation has already gone out. And he's just announcing by sending his servants that it's time. And it says that they ignore him. But the king really wants to have a party. How many's idea of God is that? Who has that view of God, that he's a little trigger happy on pulling a party in Luke 15? And here in Matthew 22, he's like, come on, boys, I want a party. Would you come? No one has that view. Many people don't have that view. They think God's the boogeyman. No, he wants to throw a party. It's a royal wedding. Again, verse, two, uh, verse four, again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready, come to the wedding feast. So in other words, um, he sends out a second invitation with some specifics, maybe an Instagram post of here's all the food you're missing, here's the great band you're missing out on. He wants them to see with their eyes what they're missing out on. Second invitation. Now, look at what they do. Verse five. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm. He apparently preferred manual labor over a feast. Another to his business. He preferred being at the office late rather than the feast. Now, they passively give the king the cold shoulder. Look at what the other people do. It's far worse. Verse six. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry. And before he's sending servants now, it says, he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. 
And you read that and you're like, can someone give the king a hug? <laughs> it's just a party. <laughs> and honestly, 21st century Western Americans, we read this and go, whoa, give the king a hug, calm down. But listen, he's not overreacting. Imagine, let's let's just go American because we don't understand kings. We don't even like the presidents we elect. So it's hard to understand the king thing. But let's just go president. Um, I don't care who you voted for. If you get a personal invitation from the president to come to the White House and party, you're going. Even if you're Republican, you're going to the White House who in here has ever been invited to the White House? Yeah, besides Rick Archer. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Got to be honest. All right. Besides Rick, no, no one else has been invited to the White House. But if you get an invitation to the White House, you're going. Now, imagine ignoring the invitation because you're, you know, a Republican or whatever. That was a joke. You can laugh at the political. All right. So he sends his West Wing staff. And he's like, hey, man, look at the concert list. Look at the food we're catering in. And he's like pleading with you to come to the White House. And you take the West Wing staff and you beat them up and you kill them. What do you think happens next? The Navy SEALs are landing on your front yard in a helicopter and they're storming your house as if they stormed bin Laden's house. And you know the rest of the story. And no one would go, president's overreacting. No, you killed the West Wing staff over party invitation. You, you're dumb and you need to be taken care of. That's what's going on here. Okay, now let's keep reading. I'm having fun, I'm sorry. Verse eight, then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited twice, by the way, were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast, as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both, and I love that it says bad before good, both bad and good. It's the mercy of the king. Get everybody. So the wedding hall was filled with the guests. It took three invitations to get people's attentions, but now, by by this point in the story, the wedding hall is filled and the king can celebrate his son. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. In other words, he he didn't have an excuse. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. Now, let's give some context here. The first two invitations were to those who were already invited, and they had ample time to prep. They had time to pick out their gown and find their tux and all that stuff. But these people who got the third invitation, they're on the street. They're on the highway. They have no time for preparation. So what would be common, this, this is a culturally would happen all the time, you start inviting people, is the host would, prepare, would provide for them the right clothes. He would have garments set aside for those who didn't have the right stuff to celebrate. Now, the room is filled with people who are on the street 
And there's only one guy who doesn't have the right clothes on. So it's, it's, not, it's not like he wore jean shorts to a wedding and, and, you know, the fashion police are coming in. It's that no one had the right clothes. And this guy rejected the clothing provided to him. As if, I don't know if I want to make a fashion statement or he was independent or it, it was, you know, hot and didn't breathe. And so he said, no, I'm going to take care of my... We don't know the reason, but we do know that he was rejecting essentially the grace offered to him by the king. And so the king does what the king has the authority to do, which is kick him out. Now, um, just quickly, the first two invitations aren't about us. Historically speaking... Jesus is telling about how the invitation to Israel has been out there. And he was saying, now's the time. And they didn't want him. And so the king sends some more people with some evidence, and they kill them. What most scholars believe is that that is referring to John the Baptist, Jesus, and the apostles. That those were the second servants who came in with tangible evidence, the, the, the blind seeing, the, the dead walking, all that. The kingdom's here. Do you want in? And many say no. And actually are aggressive and kill those messengers, those servants who come in. And so Jesus is telling the Jewish nation, the invitation's about to go beyond you to the ends of the earth. Go to the highway. Go to the ends of the earth. Go to the Gentiles. Go everywhere. Now, what's kind of cool about this is he says the troops will come in, kill you, and burn your city. He says that about 80, 32, 33-ish. And we know historically in AD 70, Titus entered Jerusalem, burned the city, and killed the Jewish people. It's pretty cool that Jesus prophesied what was going to happen in AD 70, 40-ish years beforehand. So that's what that's about, just for you, you know, theology geeks that want to know where that fits. It's, I thought that was kind of fun. I can tell me and Britt are on the same page there, no one else. All right. It's hot in San Antonio right now, and um, probably every day when you're driving, you can find someone on the highway, homeless, in the heat in some ratty clothes, sunbeat, sweating, maybe bloody and dirty and nasty, with a cardboard sign begging for scraps of help, right? You've all seen this. Now, among the obvious compassion that you should have and the obvious, Lord, should I give them or or no, um, what often comes to my mind is this. I'm like that without Jesus. That I am poor in spirit, as Jesus would say in the Beatitudes. That I am spiritually bankrupt without Christ. That without Jesus, I have no fundamental way to meet my needs. That's what poor in spirit means. I, I got, unless I get help from the outside, I'm dead spiritually, which is all of us, right? And, and, and so spiritually, I'm on the highway in some ratty clothes, hot, sweaty, nasty, cut, broken, bruised, discouraged, in despair, with a cardboard sign looking for scraps that the world can throw at me. That's what poor in spirit means. And the invitation is to come to the castle and to take off the rags, to be 
washed, we would say baptized, immersed in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To put our cardboard sign down and to take on the robes of Christ. Paul says, put on, clothe yourself with Christ. That there are custom Burberry threads of Christ for us. And the invitations, put down the ratty clothes, take a shower in the name of God, put on the custom clothes, and come to the table, not for a snack, not for scraps, but for a feast. That's the invitation all of us have. And in that parable, there's the, the robe, the, the, the wedding garment. You can call it the robe of righteousness. And it's what Christ does for us. We're at the table because of the work of Christ. That's, that's where we're there, right? And there's all these connections between nakedness and the, the fall and the garden. If you know all that, you can make all these cool connections. But we're there, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And that's the only way we're there. Now remember Romans 14. The kingdom of God is righteousness, right relationship. That's what the wedding garment represents, the right relationship with Christ and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you had your fill of joy? Are you stuffed with peace? To use another way, are you drowning in joy and peace and righteousness? It's kind of a weird, like there's so much righteousness and peace and joy that you're drowning in it because that's how ample it is. Does everyone's relationship right all the time? Your, Your right relationship with God, your right relationship with your spouse, with your neighbor, with your coworker, with yourself, with the person driving in front of you, getting on your nerves because they're going too slow. You have right relationships all the time? You peaceful all the time? You joyful all the time? Or, or is it a daily struggle? Is it a constant remembrance of your pain and your sickness and your sexual brokenness and your confusion and your anxiety and your fear and your worry? And the offer to Christ, the offer from Christ is take your rags off. Come and feast. Put on the robe of righteousness that Christ has provided and sit at the table and have your fill of joy, pleasure, delight. Oh, it's, it's too much. Like I get to feast on the presence of God, like all that is good. No, I, I get to just feast. I don't get a happy meal of joy, but I get a feast of joy. Oh man, incredible. And maybe you're here and you're listening and you're not a follower of Christ, maybe you're kicking the tires or you're not really sure where you are, my friend, the invitation is in your hands right now. And the king is offering for you to come off the highway, to put down the cardboard sign, to exchange your rags for his robe and to feast Please come to the, it's so much better than the scraps the world throws at you. So much better. So much better. Please. Don't delay. Don't ignore the invitation.
Maybe you're a believer and you're a seasoned believer or you're new to Christ and maybe when I ask the question, are you drowning in joy and in peace? And right, you're like, no, I need that. Maybe you've been at the feast, but for some reason you've walked away and you've entertained putting on the old clothes or, or, and you've stopped feasting. You've gotten too busy to attend to the joy of the gospel. May tonight be a reminder and invitation to come to the feast. May you come to the table and ingest the grace and feast on the grace and and actually consume and nourish your life with the grace as, as symbolized through the bread and the wine, the body and the blood. May that be a feast for you. May you just drop whatever is weighing you down. Leave your cardboard signs here where you're sitting. Don't pick up the rags again. Take on the robe of Christ. It's here. It's here for you. Whatever's going on in your life, it's here for you. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you're a king who gives repeated invitations, that you love to party and you want us to be at the feast and you have provided through your son Jesus to be at the feast and you offer to baptize us in your spirit and cleanse us of our infirmities and our sickness and our iniquities, our sin. And that you don't just have a happy meal for us. You have a feast. Lord, I pray right now where there is apathy and hardness of heart, for those who would rather be at the farm or at the office than come at your table, I ask right now that you would stir in their heart, that you would activate something inside of them, that you would start a fire inside of them, Lord. Those who are broken and discouraged and drowning in anxiety or fear or their brokenness, or Father, would would you speak loudly to them right now, offering in exchange. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would draw people to exchange their junk for Jesus. We need you, Lord. We confess our dependence on you. We're poor in spirit. We're bankrupt without you. And and how, how great it would be to come and feast. As we draw near to you, would you draw near to us as your word promises? It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.